So I like to ask questions at the beginning to get you thinking and get you involved in, in the sermon. So I want you to think, what was the last command you gave? If you're a parent here, you probably don't have to think back very far. <laughs> if, if you're not, it might have been a little bit longer. Is, that, is there feedback or is that just me? If I need to switch, let me know. <laughs> um, what was the last command you gave? I don't have to think back very far. Uh, as we were just starting the service, I had to tell Ellie, my youngest daughter, to go sit down because she didn't want to do that. She was playing and she was having fun. Um, Commands are interesting things, and we give them for lots of different reasons. And this thinking about commands started me thinking about being a parent as well. Because when I'm doing my job as a parent well, then I'm giving commands for the good of my children and for the good of our family. I'm protecting them. I'm, I'm telling them something they need to obey in order to stay safe. Or I'm teaching them. I'm telling something they need to obey in order to learn and to grow. Um, or I'm, I'm guiding them in, in something that's going to be character forming or will help the family or which is necessary for whatever we're doing. I'm not always doing parenting well and so sometimes I'm giving commands out of annoyance. Um, you know, you just had enough. Like, I don't want justice, I just want quiet. <laughs> so stop it, <laughs> right? We'll sort this out later. For now, enough. Um, God gives us commands I feel like there's feedback. Do you need me to switch, Logan? There's... Okay. Do... Okay. All right. We'll give it another couple of minutes. I don't want to bother your ears, though, because it sounds like it might hurt if you're out there more than it does up here. Um, God gives us commands, and God is always a good father. It's okay. If it's not going to work out, I don't mind using the hand mic. Okay. <laughs> Is that better? Okay. That means I lose a hand, though. <laughs> um, God is always giving us commands for good reasons. And we're going to look at Psalm 107 today, and there's, a, the, there's one command that dominates this psalm. It carries all the way through, and it's give thanks to the Lord. That's the command repeated throughout, give thanks to the Lord. Until the very end, it shifts a little bit. And this is a command I'm familiar with. I tell my children to say thank you all the time, right? And Hannah and Ethan are now 9 and 10, and they mostly don't need to be told. They've learned the lesson, and they say thank you. Ellie and Nathaniel, who are 3 and 5, still often need reminders. Um, but it's a strange thing to tell someone to say thank you. Because thanks, if it is sincere, is not something you do just because you're supposed to, Right? And part of the hope when we command our children to say thank you is that what we are teaching them as a polite response will sink in to being something in their heart. So that they won't just say thank you because it's the polite and socially responsible and respectable thing to do, but they'll learn to say thank you because they mean it. Um, unfortunately, that's not a journey that's made simply by obedience to a command. There's much more to that journey to go from the head to the heart. And I've talked about that kind of journey before in relation to our faith, where we, we hear things and we know them and we believe them. We've got them in our head. But actually getting them into our heart is a much, often much longer and much more personal journey involving experience 
involving um, revelation, involving the work of God in our lives. And so we're going to talk about those things as we look at Psalm 107, because today we are talking about giving thanks, and it is something we are commanded to do. This is not something that God gives us as a piece of good advice. Um, it's actually a responsibility. But if you read through the scriptures, if you read through the Psalms, God is never interested in mere rote obedience, mere doing something because you're supposed to. He always wants it to go deeper than that. And so what does that journey look like? And what do we, what do we need to talk about when we talk about giving thanks? And that's, that's where we're going to head with Psalm 107. And Psalm 107, um, in terms of the command to give thanks, divides neatly into three parts, though they're very, very uneven, because the first part is one verse, is verse one, giving thanks to the Lord because of who he is. And then Verses 2 to, I want to say, 33, 32, um, are giving thanks to God for what He has done. And this is part of that journey in terms of going from the head to the heart. Because knowing who He is is one thing, but having experienced what He's done is one of the helpful activities of God to sink things down into our heart. And then the last section, which starts in verse 33 and goes to the end, is a reflection on both who God is and what He does and thanksgiving and some of the difficulties involved in this journey. And so we're going to look at each of those. And so we'll start by reading the Scriptures. And I always ask that we stand for the reading of the Word of God to honor His Word, to participate. I'm going to warn you, though, this is a longer psalm. It's 43 verses. And so if you need to sit down at some point, that is totally fine. Um, don't feel bad about that at all. And normally I turn around and read it off the screen, but because it's a longer one, I'm just going to read it here, and my translation might differ slightly from the one on the screen, but that's okay. Psalm 107, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say this, those he has redeemed from the hand of the foe, those he has gathered from the lands from east and west and north and south. Some wandered in desert wastelands, finding no way to a city where they could settle. They were hungry and thirsty, and their lives ebbed away. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and He delivered them from their distress. He led them by a straight way to a city where they could settle. Let them give thanks to the Lord for His unfailing love and His wonderful deeds for men. For He satisfies the thirsty and fills the hungry with good things. Some sat in darkness and the deepest gloom prisoners suffering in iron chains, for they had rebelled against the words of God and despised the counsel of the Most High. So he subjected them to bitter labor. They stumbled, and there was no one to help. Then they cried out to the Lord in their distress, and he saved them from their, or in their trouble, and he saved them from their distress. He brought them out of darkness and deepest gloom and broke away their chains. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for men. For he breaks down gates of bronze and cuts through bars of iron. Some became fools through their rebellious ways and suffered affliction because of their iniquities. They loathed food and drew near the gates of death. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them from their distress. He sent forth his word and healed them. He rescued them from the grave. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for men. Let them sacrifice thank offerings and tell of his works with songs of joy. Some went out on the sea in the ships, and they were, they were merchants on the mighty waters. They saw the works of the Lord, his wonderful deeds in the deep. 
For he spoke and stirred up a tempest that lifted high the waves. They mounted up to the heavens and went down to the depths. In their peril, their courage melted away. They reeled and staggered like drunken men. They were at their wits' end. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he brought them out of their distress. He stilled the storm to a whisper. The waves of the sea were hushed. They were glad when it grew calm, and he guided them to their desired haven. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for men. Let them exalt him in the assembly of the people and praise him in the council of the elders. He turned rivers into desert, flowing springs into thirsty ground, and fruitful land into a salt waste. Because of the wickedness of those who lived there, he turned the desert into pools of water and parched ground into flowing springs. There he brought the hungry to live, and they founded a city where they could settle. They sowed fields and planted vineyards that yielded a fruitful harvest. He blessed them, and their numbers greatly increased, and he did not let their herds diminish. Then their numbers decreased, and they were humbled by oppression, calamity, and sorrow. He pours contempt on nobles and makes them wander in a trackless waste. But he lifts the needy out of their affliction and increases their families like flocks. The upright see and rejoice, but all the wicked shut their mouths. Whoever is wise, let him heed these things and consider the steadfast love of the Lord. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. As I say, it's a longer psalm, and I hope you caught some of the patterns there. There's a number of repeated phrases that carry throughout. The steadfast love of the Lord um, that endures forever is there again and again. The command to give thanks is there again and again. And there's this little bit of a formula. There's these four stories, and in each story, they cry out to God in their trouble, and he delivers them from their distress, and then it says what he has done. And then let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing or his steadfast love and his wonderful deeds for men. And so we've got this really clear give thanks to the Lord and a really clear reason for his love and for his rescue. And both of those carry through, though the rescue is in the stories. Um, It's not spoken of in the same words every time. And so the psalmist begins by saying what he's going to say again and again. That's where verse 1 comes in. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Um, This is a lot like telling your children, say thank you. It's just, this is the truth. This is who God is. This is how you need to respond. And we need commands like this because we very quickly and I speak from personal experience, take reality for granted. At some point, hearing that the Lord is good and loving is really good news for each of us when we actually accept and believe that. At another point, we start to just assume it, right? And this is how we work if we're not careful in all of the areas of our life. Uh, When Christina and I, this is just an example of this, when Christina and I got married, Uh, We had our honeymoon, we traveled around visiting family in Canada for a few weeks, and then we moved to South Korea to teach English. And this began the first five years of our marriage. We moved every year, and we never had a dishwasher. And And in those five years, not having a dishwasher didn't feel like a big deal. You just, that's life. You deal with it. You hand wash your dishes. But in our, near the beginning of our sixth year of marriage, we moved again, and we got a dishwasher. 
And we were incredibly thankful for this amazing new device that saved us time and energy and made cleaning up from dinner so much easier. For a long time, we'd, we had, for the first five years of our marriage, we'd had this deal where one of us cooks and one of us cleans up. And for a few weeks, it was quite funny because the person who was on cleanup was like, it took no time at all. It's so easy. Um, now we've had a dishwasher in our lives for 10 years. And uh, I don't know if we've been married quite that long. Coming up, though. <laughs> I'm going to have to think about that. Yeah, we're at 15 years. Yeah, we are. This year was our 15th year. Okay. Um, <laughs> Christina's not here this morning. She's home with Nathaniel, who's sick, so I can get away with that. But the thankfulness disappears very quickly, right? Now the dishwasher is taken for granted. And if it wasn't for preparing a sermon like this, I wouldn't remember how nice it was to go through that change. And so that's where we begin, and that's where we need to begin. This is the way it is, and this is the appropriate response. Give thanks to the Lord, because he's good, and his steadfast love endures forever. But if you really want to sink into thanksgiving, it's not enough to just say, this is the way it is. What we all end up doing when we're really thankful is we tell stories. You go to someone and you say, thank you, and then you tell them why you're thankful. You did this, and you did this, and I really appreciated that, or it meant a lot to me, or you have no idea how important it was, and I want you to understand so you know how deeply thankful I am, right? We, we fill in the, the, not just the, the reason, but the experience that has made us thankful. And that's the experience that has made us thankful is where that journey from head to heart comes in. Because knowing the truth is one thing, but being able to point to your life and say, this is where I've seen the truth. I have one hand and nowhere to put this, so that's going down there. This is where I've seen the truth. That's where you start to actually know it in your heart. And that's why, for the next 30 verses, what the psalmist does is tell us stories. And I love the way these stories come together. And this is not just this psalm. This is true of so much of the Bible. Um, some people talk about, especially the Old Testament, they call it um, like Hebrew meditation literature or Hebrew reflection literature. Um, not to say that you need to sit down with your legs crossed and all this kind of stuff, but that it's the kind of writing that is made for you to read it over and over again. And as you do so, you sink deeper and deeper into the story. So you read the Bible through for the first time in your life, and there's lots of new stuff in there. But then you read it through for the second time, and you're like, hey, wait a second. That's like this thing that I read later on in the Bible. And you start to see connections, and it takes you deeper. And that can happen in the whole scriptures. It can also happen in one psalm. And I'm speaking from personal experience here. The first time you read these stories, they're just good stories. Um, they're general. They're nonspecific. But you can imagine the people in each of these situations, and you can imagine how thankful they ought to be by the end. You're lost in the desert. Your life is ebbing away. It's very um, evocative language that's used to picture what this would be like in each of these stories, right? You're imprisoned in the deepest gloom. Um, you go to the third story, and they're dis this person is despising food. They're loathing food and drawing near the gates of death. That's a, a picture of sickness, right? And I'm sure we've all been sick where you're just like, I don't want to eat. I'm just, I'm done. Leave me alone, right? But if that goes on long enough, you're in trouble. And so you, you read these stories, and you think, yeah, yeah, they should give thanks to the Lord. <laughs> like, if this is what you've gone through, give thanks. But then you start to 
And this is one of the ways you can deepen your reading of Scripture, and you ought to do this when you're reading the Bible, is to start imagining yourself in some of these stories and asking, like, where am I? And you realize that all of these stories are general because they're actually quite common experiences to some degree. Um, I don't imagine that many of us here have been lost in a desert wasteland and nearly died, but I do think that we've all had the experience of being lost or had the experience of um, you know you need something and it's just not there and you're desperate for whatever that is, money to pay the bills, um, things like that. Same thing with you know being sick. Most of us have not, though some of us may have been at death's door because of a sickness. But even if you haven't been that sick, there's a common experience here. And so you can find yourself in at least one, if not several, of these stories. And then you're not just reading good stories about other people who ought to give thanks. You're being reminded of your own story and the places where you need to give thanks. And then you read it a few more times and put it into the whole story of the Bible. And one of the things that you, that you realize, one of the things that I realized in reading this as I prepared for this sermon, is that these four stories are not chosen by accident. They're not just general common experiences. They're actually the four different ways that Scripture talks about the position that we all find ourselves in when we are apart from God. Because when we are apart from God, we are lost and cut off from the sources of life. We are prisoners of sin and darkness. We are sick in the sense, again, that we are not living the way we're supposed to be. Maybe not we're literally dying, physically speaking. But there's this idea, like you're, and it, it's even embedded here, where it says some became fools through their rebellious ways and suffered affliction because of their iniquity. The sickness pictured here is the sickness of sin in our life, and the result of that is you loathe food. This is that picture of being sick and not wanting to eat. But food is what you need. It's the source of your life. Sin cuts us off from God. And when we're living in that, it's not just that we're not with God. We don't even want to be. Like he's, the, he's the one we need, and we don't even want him. And then the last picture, which is maybe the one that's the hardest for a lot of us to connect, it's this picture of, of seamen, of sailors, and they're out on the ocean, and they are confronted with the chaos and the power of a world outside of their control. But again, that's all of us. We all walk through a world in which we are not powerful enough to stop the things that threaten us in the world around us. And so each of these stories points to one aspect of our plight, our situation, apart from the work of God. And therefore, they call us not just to give thanks for those specific incidences where we remember that our stories are like this, but to give thanks for the work of Jesus on the cross, who comes to deal with and rescue us from each of these things. Jesus comes and he says this to seek and to save the lost, the people who don't know the way, who long for life but don't know where to get it. He comes to set the prisoners free and proclaim good news for the captives, right? For the people who want out and can't get there, right? And again, I think most of us have experienced that, where there's something in our life and we know it's not good and we want it to change desperately, and we just somehow can't, right? And Jesus steps into that situation where Jesus comes to heal the sick, 
and to forgive the sinners so that we can be made well and be reconciled with God and have a relationship with Him again. And where Jesus comes to defeat the powers of darkness and evil and chaos in the world. Right? And you read the Gospels and you read the story of Jesus and all of these things are all throughout. They're, they're, they come up again and again and again. I love the story of Jesus calming the storm. And it's one of the first times that the disciples worship him. They knew before he calmed the storm that he was amazing. They knew that he was called by God and powerful and wise and gifted and all of these other things. But when you see someone calm the storm, you're seeing someone do something that only God can do. And they fall down and they worship him because they recognize that when somebody has that kind of power and authority over the elements and over nature, this is not just an awesome person. This is the presence of God in our midst. And so from the command to give thanks to the stories that draw us deeper and deeper into giving thanks, this psalm models that journey of where we are supposed to go in obedience to that command, in developing a heart of giving thanks. And when you think through those four stories in light of what Jesus has done and who he is, it almost starts to make sense that Paul can say something like, give thanks in all circumstances. Almost. <laughs> because it's right when you start to think about that, that thanksgiving uh, becomes more difficult. Thanksgiving is great in the moment of rescue, right? Thanksgiving is great when you've been set free, when you've been healed, when you've, when you've been led to your desired haven or the city where you're to settle or et cetera, like all the different good things in here. But give thanks in all circumstances? What about before the rescue? Like what about when these people are at their wit's end and when they're drawing near to death's gate and, and like each of those stories again, what, what about then? What about when Thanksgiving is really, really hard? Um, I think there's a reason that the psalm doesn't end on verse 32. It goes on, verses 33 to 43. And when I read it, you probably caught the shift in tone there. We, sh we go from four stories of God's amazing rescue back to talking about who God is and what he does, but in ways that are not all encouraging. They're not all like the good things God has done. The first thing it says in verse 33, as you get into that third section, he turns rivers into desert, flowing springs into thirsty ground, and fruitful land into a salt waste. It's like, hold on, we just read about all the ways you did the opposite. We just read about all the ways that you did, and, and the psalm goes on to say exactly that. He turned the desert into pools of water and the parched ground into flowing springs, and he brought the hungry to live there, and they sowed fields and plants, planted vineyards, and they had a fruitful harvest, and their herds increased, and they were blessed. It's this both and. Um, because things are never quite so straightforward as everything always ends happy, and it's always a good story. And we know that. We know that from experience. Um, some of us in this room are going to be in places right now where we're in the first half of those stories. And the question we're tempted to ask is, where is God in this? Like, where, where in the world is he? And how am I supposed to give thanks right now? I'll give thanks after you rescue me. So, any time now. Um, and, and after those 10 verses, the psalmist says, 
And this is where that command shifts from giving thanks to something else. Verse 43, whoever is wise, let him heed these things and consider the great love of God. Let him heed these things, the fact that God does both sides of this work. There are, throughout this psalm, mighty works of God that humble as well as rescue. God does both. And part of who God is, and this is clear in these last 10 verses, and it's clear in the, par- in the story that Jesus told that Kathleen read from the Gospel of Luke, when you come to this dinner, seat yourself low and not high. Why? Because those who humble themselves, God will exalt. But those who exalt themselves, God will humble. It's that same thing here, right? God pours contempt on the arrogant, on the nobles who are oppressing and bringing calamity, and, making, and he makes them wander in trackless wastes. But he lifts the needy out of their affliction. This is the constant refrain in Scripture that God lifts up the humble and the broken and the beaten down. But he humbles and lays low the proud. And those who take the gifts of God and use them to oppress and use them to, to try to humiliate other people and take advantage of other people. God gives us good gifts for a reason. And so part of the, the heed this and reflect on this is to ask, where do, where do we stand in the presence of God? Are we the proud in need of humbling or the humble waiting to be lifted up? And this all connects to thanksgiving because thanksgiving is an intrinsically humbling activity. To give thanks is to recognize that you owe something to someone else, not that you have to repay it, but that, that you have it as a gift, that you have it on someone else's account, right? And that's true between humans as well as it is between God. But when it comes to giving thanks to God, it's to recognize that all we have is His. And that's humbling because I would rather look at the things that I've earned and feel like I deserve them. That's the place I like to be because then it feels pretty good, right? But that's exactly the place of the proud, I don't deserve the good things I have. I don't deserve an amazing family. I don't deserve to be able to serve this amazing church. We are God's church, not mine. And I serve because he's called me here, and that's up to him. Right? And if I start to take these things as if they're my own, I'm in danger. I'm in trouble. Like I'm, I'm, I'm asking for God to come in and, and do something about that. <laughs> um, and so let them consider these things let them heed these things and consider the great love of God, calls us to that humility. It does also call us to giving thanks in all circumstances, but not for all circumstances. And that's a really important distinction to make. We don't, and none of the stories told in this psalm, give th- call us to do this. We don't give thanks to God for the bad stuff. Right? They, each of the stories... Give thanks to God for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for men. In other words, for his love and the good things he does. So in each circumstance, we can turn to God and we can still thank him for who he is. And we thank him for what he has already done. And we cry out to him for what we need him to do now. And that's how you obey that command. And what's hard about that is that it's independent of our feelings. Because when we're in the midst of those things, 
I don't know about you, but I don't feel like giving thanks. Like, there are times when I feel really thankful and really grateful. Um, but in the midst of these kind of messes, that's not when I feel that way. And yet we're called to still acknowledge reality, to still remember who God is and what he's done. And that's how we end up crying out to him. Because it, if you don't actually know that he's going to, like if you don't believe that this is who he is and this is the kind of thing he does, why would you call on him? Um, Christina gave me permission to share a story. So my brother-in-law, her brother, Nicholas, passed away very shortly after Hannah was born in a motorcycle accident. And that was really, really hard. Um, we had lived with Nick for a couple of years after we'd been married. We'd rented a place together. He was in our wedding party. He was one of my groomsmen. Um, he was a really good guy. And, and he was quite young. And it was very unexpected as these things are. And it was really, really tough to go through that. And we were talking through the sermon and Christina said, yeah, it was like when Nick, Nick died. And I was like, what do you mean? She said, well, I was really thankful that God had provided such a good family to walk through that loss together and to watch our church come together and support us. And she listed all these things that she was thankful for, and I was amazed because I wasn't thankful at that time. <laughs> she was a better example than I was. Um, and so we talked about that, and one of the things that she had said was that she needed to be thankful in that time because it was part of how she found strength in the Lord. And this is the last thing I want to say about thankfulness before we talk about actually doing it which is that one of the good things about thankfulness is that when we are able to give thanks in the midst of difficulties, that act alone transforms the whole situation. It's why God gives us this command. It's because he does know it's actually good for us. It's not like he's sitting there and he needs us to give thanks for his sake um, or that you know, without our thanks, he's in trouble. No, of course not. Um, but when we are able to give thanks in those situations, we experience something different. Now, one of the temptations whenever a pastor is talking about this is to fake it. And I always find myself saying, don't do that. <laughs> don't pretend with God. He knows, right? So that's why the when you're able. If you're not able, God's still with you. And you can bring that to him too. And you can say, I know I should, but I can't and I need your help. And that's totally fine. That's a way better prayer than a gritted teeth, this is what I have to do, Lord, uh, thank you for nothing, right? Like, <laughs> um, so, so don't give in to that temptation, but do seek that gratitude and that grateful heart even in the difficult circumstances. So where do we go from this psalm and this command? Well, we respond intentionally in obedience, Things like talking about a dishwasher and how easy it is to forget point to the fact that if we don't practice gratitude, it doesn't happen. Not, not in the most important ways. In the most important ways, gratitude needs to be a habit. And habits become heartfelt, and they can even start out heartfelt, but either way, it's okay. Um, some places in the scriptures talk about the sacrifice of thanksgiving. It's a sacrifice because it's humbling. It's a sacrifice because we offer it to the Lord. It's also a sacrifice because you've got to plan it and, and do it and be intentional about it, right? In the Old Testament, you're sacrificing animals. You don't walk around one day and be like, whoops, I sacrificed a goat. 
right? It doesn't happen that way. You plan it out. You choose the goat. You save up the money so you can afford this. You head to the temple, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I don't know where you're at and what you need to give thanks for. But I know there are things you can give thanks for in your life, no matter how awful it seems right now. And so I want to encourage you as you head out today to think that through and to intentionally take aside a time, even if it's just five minutes, to give thanks to the Lord. One of the great ways you can do this is an exercise called the three by ten. And what you do is you sit down with a piece of paper and you write out ten things that you're thankful for. And you give thanks to God for them. And you pray, and, and maybe you, you sing a worship song, or you share that list with someone else, and then you do it again, but you can't repeat, so you write 10 more things that you're thankful for. Um, and that takes you a little deeper, because the first 10 things you're thinking about, they're going to be the stuff that comes quickly and easily. And the second 10 things with no repetitions is a little harder, and then, and then you pray those through, and maybe you share them with someone, and then you do it a third time. So it's a three by 10, three lists of 10 things you're thankful for. And the third list makes you really start thinking. Um, which is what we need to do. So whether you do it with the 3 by 10 which is going to take you more than five minutes, or you just give God that couple minutes to say thank you, I, I do want to ask that each of us do that sometime soon to begin practicing gratitude. One of the ways we get to begin practicing this together right away, though, is with the Lord's Supper. We celebrate the Lord's Supper once a month. It's one of the ordinances that Jesus has given us to do this um, regularly in remembrance of him. We come together and we, we partake of a small piece of bread and a small cup um, to represent his giving of his body and his blood. Remember the sacrifice that he's made, that he stepped in to seek and save the lost, that he stepped in to rescue the prisoners, that he stepped in to heal the sick and forgive the sinners, and that he stepped in to defeat chaos and darkness, and evil in our lives, and that we can still come to him in any of those situations, and he will still seek and save us when we're lost, and he will still rescue us when we're imprisoned, and he will still forgive us and heal us and defeat the evil in our lives. And so we read from 1 Corinthians where Paul says that he received from the Lord what he passes on to us. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so we come together in remembrance, we come together in thanksgiving, and we come together in proclamation. I'm going to call the communion servers to come forward. And how this works is um, the communion servers, I'm going to serve them and we're going to serve the worship team. And uh, once we've each partaken, and we do this for a reason, because we want to serve you out of the fullness of God. You need him, not us. Um, so once that's done, the worship team will take their places and, and just lead in quiet song. And the communion servers will take their places at the end of each aisle. And then when you see them do that, when you see them at the end of each aisle, then you can come forward to receive. And we do that from the back to the front. So if you're in the back row, you come out first and we just work our way forward. And when you come up, they're going to give you the piece of bread and the cup. And you can partake right away. You can step aside to reflect and pray for a moment. You can take them back to your seat. Um, however, you need to do that in remembrance and in thanksgiving and in proclamation. 
And uh, once everybody has received communion, then we'll join together in worship again. If you're here this morning and you have mobility issues, it's difficult for you to come forward. Um, you can either, if you're here with someone who's happy to bring you the piece of bread and the cup, then they can do that, or we will come and serve you where you're seated. Either one is fine. Let's pray together. Lord God, I thank you for your body and your blood. I thank you for your sacrifice. I thank you that you have never been content to leave us lost, imprisoned, sick, or at the mercy of forces beyond our control that you love us, that you're a loving Father, and so you've stepped in and you've done something about this. Thank you, Jesus, that, that you gave yourself to rescue and save and heal and find. Lord, may you now speak to each of us so that we do remember all that you've done, both in the big picture and personally for each of us. Lead us into thanksgiving. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.